I read about an atheist professor who uh, was teaching a, a class, college class, and he told the class that he was going to prove to them, prove to them that there was no God. And so he said in a loud voice, God, if you are real, I want you to knock me off this platform. I'll give you 15 minutes. And as he stood there, you know, 10 minutes went by. He keeps taunting God, telling him, you know, you're not there. But if you are, you knock me off this platform. Here I am, God. I'm waiting for you. And he got down to the last couple of minutes. And a 240-pound uh, football player from the school happened to be walking by the door, and he heard the professor say that. So he walked into the room at the last minute. He walked up to the professor and hit him with full force, sent him flying off the platform. The professor uh, got up. He was shaken. I couldn't believe what had happened. He said, where did you come from and why did you do that? And the football player said, God was busy, so he sent me. Uh, <laughs> so theologically speaking, I'm not sure that we can say that it would be accurate to say that God is too busy to attend to something. But I do want to say it's accurate, more than accurate, to actually say he does send people to attend to his work. So if this is your first time at MCC, hey, thanks for being here this morning. And if you're watching online, thank you for joining us uh, there as well. My name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at MCC. And you can also follow us, by the way, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And I hope that you will if you're not already. So uh, we're in the Bible. If you have your Bible with you, Joshua 24. And you will find your, the notes for this morning on the handout you were given when you came in. Uh, or you can find us at the Bible app. If you have the YouVersion Bible app and you go to the events page, you can find all of the notes and texts for this morning there. Uh, Going to catch you up. It's important that you have your Bible open, you have your Bible open if you have it with you or your YouVersion uh, app. Uh, because today we're finishing our Joshua series. So to make sure we're all ending at the same place, uh, I want to remind us of where we got started. 400 years before Joshua is born, uh, the Israelites are in slavery in Egypt. So God raises up Moses and sends him to rescue the Israelites from Egypt. And Moses leads them out of slavery and to a land that we call the... Okay, to a land that we call the promised land. Okay, so I want to make sure we're all on the same page. Moses gets them to the edge of the promised land, and he dies there, and God raises up Joshua to lead them into taking the land. And the first week we talked about, as we looked at Joshua leading them into the promised land, we talked about what it means to walk into God's blessings that he has for our life, the promises he has for us as well. The second week, Adam took us through the battle of Jericho and reminded us that sometimes God's ways don't make sense, at least in our culture and the way our world thinks. But if we will do things God's way, God shows up and blazes the trail for us. And after, being, after defeating the great walled city of Jericho that nobody thought they would be able to get into, the Israelites were beaten by a much smaller army because there was sin in the camp. And so what we learned was that when deliberate, deliberate sin is in our lives, it stops the flow of God's promises and blessings in our lives. And then last week we were reminded about how to make big decisions and what happens when we blow it because sometimes we will blow it. And it's important for us to recognize that. So if you missed any of those, I hope you'll check them out at our website. But as we finish this book bearing his name, I want to make sure you know Joshua's old at this point. 
He's 110 years old. He's like this old soldier who was giving his farewell address. He's been there. He's done that. He was with Moses in Egypt. He walked through the Red Sea on dry land. He ate manna in the wilderness that God provided. Literally was one of the spies who spied out the promised land. He was there when God stopped the current of the Jordan River. He watched the walls of Jericho come down. He had led the Israelites in countless battles up to this point. And we're going to look at a conversation that he has with the Israelite to be reminded of what he wanted them to know and what he wants us to know today. So here's why that's important. Just a moment ago, I said that God sent Moses. And then he sent Joshua. Today, he sends who? Us. Today, he sends me and you. Not just the preacher, not just the staff of the church, not just the leaders of the church. He sends all of the church to do his task. And today, we will see what is required of us to be the ones who are sent by God. And sadly, what happens when we don't obey that call to go as the church? Chapter 24 begins, Joshua reminds them of the history of Israel, and he begins, he goes all the way back to the beginning with Abraham, and, uh, and then how the Israelites became slaves in Egypt, and then how God led them out into the edge of the promised land, and then all the battles, and now, verse 13, look at what God says to them. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil, and cities you did not build, and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. In other words, you're living in a house, new houses that are fully furnished. You're living in a city with brand new roads, and you didn't have to avoid any orange barrels. You didn't have to sit through months of traffic jams. You have fruit trees with all of your favorite fruit. You have gardens with all of your favorite vegetables. Verse 14, so fear the Lord and give him uh, serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors that they worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua is telling us something without saying it in so many words. So I'm going to say it in so many words. You ready? This is on your notes. I want to make sure you get this. The battle for first in your life is a reminder that all of us are worshipers. The battle for first, whoever's going to be first place in your life, reminds us that all of us worship something. Joshua gives them choices to worship, but what I want you to notice is he does not give them a choice not to to worship or to worship nothing at all because the foregone conclusion that Joshua knows is that we are all worshipers. If you were to be dropped into the jungle uh, to visit some new tribe, you would find people in the remote, most remote places in the world worshiping something. If you took a private jet to New York City or to Tokyo or to some other large city, you would find people in the most populated cities of the world worshiping something because we're all worshipers. When someone says, I'm not a Christian, it doesn't mean they don't worship something. When someone says, I don't go to church, it doesn't mean that they're not worshiping something. They worship something. And if you want to know what they were or what you worship, actually, if you want to know what you worship, here are the questions you need to ask. For what do you sacrifice time and money? And whose applause do you long for? That can answer that question for you. If you want to know who or what you worship, Joshua gives the children of Israel 
some obvious choices. The first one is God. Fear the Lord. I, the first choice on the list of options is obviously the one who has led them out of Egypt through all of the wilderness and now through all of these battles. It seems like the obvious choice. And yet, on your notes, Tim Keller said this, if you do not worship the God of the Bible, you will worship a substitute God. And Joshua knew that. And so he gives his listeners a couple of other obvious choices, obvious to them because of their history as a substitute to following God. The first one is the gods of your ancestors. Their parents had worshipped the gods in Egypt. Some of you are familiar with the story of the exodus from Egypt. Moses is up on a mountain for a long time with God, and the people get nervous because he hasn't come back down. And so they begin to uh, become concerned. They go to his brother Aaron. They give him gold earrings, and in Exodus 32, we read he took, that is Aaron, took what they handed him and made an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Where in the world did they get that idea to form a calf and worship it? Where did that come from? It came from Egypt. It's where they were. The ten plagues, I don't know if you know this or not, were all attacks against gods of Egypt. They worshipped all kinds of things from the Nile River to Pharaoh. And their parents were born in Egypt and they picked up some of those worship habits. So here's the question. Do you follow the gods of your parents? And for some of us, those gods were work and success and power and money and sports and alcohol or beauty. Whatever your parents worshipped, are you following in their steps? And I just want to say, even in the church, we need to be careful that we hold on to the faith that finds its origin in Scripture, not someone's religious rules and traditions. When I was growing up, every Saturday night, we polished our shoes while Mom ironed our pants and shirts, and we wore at least a tie, if not a jacket, on Sunday morning. Did anybody else do that when they were growing up? You wore a suit or you wore a dress, right? Is there anything wrong with wearing a suit or a dress on Sunday morning? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But when I was growing up, it was wrong not to. That's what I'm saying. When I was growing up, we read the King James Version of the Bible. Is there anything wrong with reading the King James Version of the Bible? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I was told, literally, these words were said to me. If it was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it's good enough for me. And I believed that until I was old enough to realize that God did, or that Paul did not read a book in the first century that wasn't written until 1611. All right? I have friends. Listen, I have friends today whose decisions to follow Jesus is being held hostage by what their parents or grandparents believed. This isn't new. Jesus was quoting the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, referring to what happened during his earthly ministry. He says this in Matthew 15. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. That's not just for them. That's for today. We need to be careful that we make sure that what, who we worship and how we worship, that we're finding our answers in Scripture. All right, here's the other option. He gives them the gods of the culture of the people of the land they were now living in. The gods of the culture. The gods of the Amorites were worshipped by the people of the culture that they were living in. Right? These are the obvious choices. So here's the question about our culture. How many places of worship do you think we have uh, in the United States? 
According to the American Religion Data Archive's most recent survey, which I think was 2010, by the way, the number they came up with was 250,402, which I believe is, is probably pretty small. Because there's a building not far from here where tomorrow morning hundreds of people will pour into that building, then they will sit behind desks or in cubicles, and some of them will find their ultimate sense of purpose and identity and worth. And they will sacrifice in that building the best of their time, the best of their effort, even their families. That's the place where they will give their hearts. For some people where they work, that becomes their place of worship. There's another building near here that has a big vault. And in that safe, they keep their money. And for some people, their primary sense of security and safety comes from what they have, what they have saved in that building. Other people, later today, tomorrow morning, will gather in another building where the walls have mirrors on them. And they worship there with weights and treadmills. Their desire is to please the God of appearance. Now, for some people, their temple may be a mall, a stadium, or a school. Let me ask this again. Is there anything wrong with working, saving, exercising, supporting a team, or education? Not at all. The question becomes, are they your ultimate source of sacrifice and applause? What about our culture? I remember in March hearing the Chick-fil-A would not be opening a shop in the Buffalo-Niagara International Airport because they do not reflect the culture of Buffalo. That was all I heard initially was that headline. And I thought to myself, Buffalo has a problem with polite people. right? Uh, you say thank you and they will say, right, you've been to Chick-fil-A, you know what they say, right? But Democratic Assemblyman Sean Ryan of Buffalo said a publicly financed facility like the Buffalo Niagara International Airport is not the appropriate venue for a Chick-fil-A restaurant. The views of Chick-fil-A do not represent our state or the western New York community and businesses that support discrimination, uh, excuse me, businesses that support discrimination have no place operating in taxpayer funded public facilities. The fast food chain Chick-fil-A offered the following statement on the matter. Recent coverage about Chick-fil-A continues to drive an inaccurate narrative about our brand. We don't have a political or social agenda. We don't discriminate against any group. More than 145,000 people from different backgrounds and beliefs represent the Chick-fil-A brand. We embrace all people regardless of religion, race, gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, or gender identity. But if you're wondering what the councilman is referring to, in 2017, Chick-fil-A, the Chick-fil-A Foundation gave away more than $1.8 million in charitable donations to organizations uh, that have come under scrutiny regarding their stance on LGBTQ issues. Over uh, $1.65 million of that was given to the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. That's who they're pointing at, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, which writes in an online statement of faith, that it believes that marriage is exclusively the union of one man and one woman and believes sexual intimacy should only be expressed within that context. Which, in case you're wondering, is what we believe here at MCC. May I say that what was true in Joshua's day is true in our day today. When what God says conflicts with our culture, you have to choose. You will make a choice. So, 
I want to make sure you get that as well. The battle for first in your life is going to begin with a choice. When you're determining, when, when you're trying to figure out who's going to be first place in your life, there's a choice that you make. You can choose what the world has to offer, or you can choose the Lord and what he says. One more battle, and it's the battle for obedience. Listen, God expects you to obey whether you understand or not. He expects you to obey, obey whether you want to or not. And I have found church to be a funny place. I think church people are funny people. Sometimes we think studying about obedience is the same thing as being obedient, but it's not. Sometimes we think that talking about being obedient is the same as being obedient, but it's not. Ephesians 2 reminds us of this. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works so that anyone can boast. We are told to put our faith in Jesus, not in our own good works. It's not what you do or don't do that gets you in. Jesus does. That way none of us can brag about it when we actually get there. Now there are things we do because we're in. There are things that we avoid because we're in, but we don't do them or not do them uh, to get in. We do or don't do them because we are in. It's about submitting my will to the will of Jesus. And Jesus commands us, right, one of his commands is to be baptized. In Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's not asking. He's telling. And yet some people resist this. I wonder how many in the room right now are resisting this. Do I really have to be baptized? Why do we ask questions like that? If the Bible says do it, then do it. Love our wives as Jesus loves the church. Do I have to do that? Does the Bible tell you to? Does God tell you to do that? Yes, he does. Submit to your husbands as the church submits to Jesus. Do I really have to? Does God tell us through his word to do that? Of course you do. Tithe, pray, show compassion. In other words, listen with your ears and with your heart. Love unconditionally. Forgive others. Jesus said in John 14, if you love me, keep my commands. And I know it sounds simple, but everyone in this room already knows it's just not that easy. But you get to decide who wins the war for your soul by who wins the battle for your obedience. Now, we've been looking at how the book of Joshua ends. A strong leader gets to the end of his life and challenges those around him to be faithful. He stands before the people, and he reminds them of everything that God has done for them. And then he says this in Joshua chapter 24, Now fear the Lord, remember, uh, just reminding you, to, and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors uh, who wor- they worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors Uh, who they serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The book of Judges follows the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. And we see what happens next. As a matter of fact, in Judges chapter 2, it says this. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. And the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Notice, they still followed the Lord, but it was the elders. It was that generation, the older generation who had experienced the power of God. 
The other people loved to hear the stories of those days gone by, but God was not at work in their lives. They celebrated their heritage, but they had no experience. So look at what happens to the next generation in Judges chapter 2. After that whole generation, the older generation, had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. They aroused the Lord's anger. Look back at verse 10. One generation after God miraculously gave them the promised land, one generation after they inhabited the land, right? They stopped following God. They stopped following him altogether. Some of you may have heard this past week that Sandy and I gave birth to two grandchildren. <laughs> this is Baker James Tuttle with his big sister. This is Ellie Kate Poor, uh, granddaughter. I have shared with you before the priorities that we have had. Sandy and I would, be, would have growing relationships with Jesus, that we would raise our children to see and experience that so that they could grow up and love Jesus and love the church. Two different decisions, by the way. And before Casey and Joshua were born, we prayed for their spouses. Before Casey and Josh were born, we prayed for their spouses that they would know Jesus and love him. And make no mistake, their spouses were their choice, not our choice. We didn't get to choose. They chose their spouses. But we prayed for them. And we worked hard to show them what it looks like that has a marriage to have a marriage that honors God so that they would want one like that as well. And we are grateful that our daughter married a man of God and that our son married a woman of God. But do you want to know what my next priority is? You're looking at them. They're in this picture. I want my grandchildren to grow up knowing who Jesus is, not because we tell them stories about who he is, but because they see him at work in our lives and get to experience him at work in their lives. And I want them to love the church. It's a separate decision. It's a second decision that we help them make, by the way. And I want you to notice that none of that has anything to do with me being a church leader. It has everything to do with me being a Jesus follower. That's why I want this for them. And parents, can I tell you, this is crucial and it concerns me. Because what our children learn growing up goes back to these two questions. And they're going to learn it not by what we tell them. We don't need to tell them anything. They'll watch what we do and learn the answers to what do you sacrifice time and money for. They'll figure that out on their own. Whose applause do you long for? They will figure that out by watching how you live your life. And I want to be clear on this as well. It's not that you need to choose. You will choose whether you consciously do it or not. It seems to me many Christians think of their choice for God as a special event that took place in the past, in the past tense. 
Look at what Joshua said one more time. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. And we look at our lives and we point to this event, right, a verb that uh, this is the day that I chose Jesus. I chose him at camp, at church camp, and I was baptized there. I chose him. Uh, some people have been baptized like on Easter Sunday. I was baptized on Easter for me, just so you know. It was September 10th, 1972. But when Joshua says choose, the verb tense is a continuous action, not a point in time, but a continuous action. So what he's saying is, as for me and my family, we choose we are still choosing, and we will continue to choose. So you need to choose today, who am I going to serve? And then tomorrow morning when you get up, you have to choose all over again who you're going to serve. And Tuesday morning when you get up, you choose all over again, who am I going to serve today? And maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've never made that decision. And we'd love to help you start. Last week during our 11 o'clock service, Key was baptized by his Uncle Mike, and it was awesome if you were not here for that. Maybe that's your next step because every journey begins with a first step. And so perhaps for you, that's the next step in your faith journey. And if you would like to talk about it, I'm going to be right down here after the service this morning. I would love to set up time to talk to you or we can talk about it and do that today. But this decision that Joshua calls the Israelites to of who would be first in their life is the same one we make every day. And on days like this, when we get together, one of our decision points is communion. We stop everything we're doing in our worship time, and we turn the focus specifically to what Jesus did for us on the cross. We hold the bread that reminds us of his body that was broken for us on the cross. We hold the juice that reminds us of his blood that was shed for us on the cross and that was the decider for us. We come back to that because his life was given for our sins on the cross. And so every time we take communion, every time we receive these emblems, we are making this proclamation one more time. As for me and my house, today we are saying our decision is we are we are making this declaration again that we will serve the Lord. Let's go to him in prayer. God, thank you for the chance to be together like this and to worship you and to honor you with the words that we sing, to honor you by looking at what your word has to say. And Father, as we begin to stop again this week and be reminded of what you have done because you have loved us so much. You just, you didn't just squeak open a way. You, you blazed a trail through the cross that we cannot walk. 